wanted to share very briefly this morning about the kingdom of God. And um, I'll never forget at the day that um, I realized that stepping into a relationship with Jesus was, was much, much more than just about the eternal well-being of my life. Um, where I, as a, as a child and as a young person, I'd only ever really grasped the idea that that to be in a relationship with Jesus was primarily about my eternal well-being. And that's a very important part of the gospel of the kingdom of God. But it's a part. And I'll never forget the day that my doors got blown off when someone actually began to teach me and articulate to me that Jesus was actually preaching a message way, way, way bigger and with much more um, dynamic interest than our eternal well-being alone. And that in fact, through Jesus, God was actually intervening in history to, to, to make everything that is wrong, right. Not just about human beings, but about his, in, his entire creation. His entire creation creation. And when I began to get an idea of that in my head and as people were teaching and showing me this, all of a sudden my discipleship experience completely expanded and, and exploded and I realized that my journey was one of not just that now I know Jesus, I'm eternally okay and now I can just go on about life as I know it but that Jesus has actually drawn me up into his kingdom work in the earth as it is in the heavens. We have a tendency to want to separate them out, the heavens and the earth, but that's not what the, the Bible story is at all. God is actually the maker of the heavens and the earth. And as far as God's concerned, those two things are very connected. It's just we live in a very Greek way of thinking where we've separated out the heavens from the earth. But that's not the way God looks at it. But I realized that to be in a relationship with Jesus was actually to be busy about advancing God's kingdom to making everything that's wrong right again. And in the process of doing that, confronting powers of darkness that were extremely upset at my wanting to participate with Jesus in that. I also realized that I had actually become a lethal weapon of God's love in a loveless world by being in a relationship with Jesus. I became a lethal weapon of God's love in a loveless world. And so have we all that have said yes to Jesus. But we have been like drawn up into and I know right now the big culture here in Australia if you're going to have a holiday is to get on a cruise ship cruise ship culture is like it's exploding it's like it's all over deals it's super cheap and people have a great time and the food just keeps coming I've been told and so on and so on but to sign up with Jesus is not to get on a cruise ship <laughs> far from it to sign up with Jesus is actually to join SS Kingdom of God. Here we go. We're going to go and make everything that's wrong right. 
and we're going to confront every injustice and every sickness and every oppression and every bit of poverty, and we're going to establish the rule and reign of God in those contexts. SS Kingdom of God. Not cruise ship, rather battleship. And when we say yes to Jesus, we also connect with Jesus' very, or John's words about Jesus in 1 John, where he said Jesus came to destroy the enemy's work. These guys are off on business. Wherever they're going, Lord, we ask for your presence and your protection. Fill those men and women with your spirit, with courage, and those that they're going to reach in Jesus' name. And to be a part of Jesus' kingdom that's destroying the work of the enemy, it's a really powerful life to live. This um, past few months for Nicole and I and for our little family of three and for this amazing church known as Vineyard Pine Rivers, it's been a very dynamic invitation from God at the start of this year. God is repositioning so many of us in just the last few months. It's quite incredible to see the number of people that have shifted or are in the process of changing vocations that are in the process of shifting in terms of responsibilities, both in the workplace, in family lives, in relationships, and so forth. And even in the context of the life of the local church, there's so much repositioning that God is doing right now. And for many right now, that may feel a little unnerving, depending on where you are in all of that. But I want to let you know it's God that's doing this because he wants to bring us up and grow us up and have us walk in everything that he has called us for, that our life might have authority and purpose and power about it so that we might be lethal weapons of God's love in a loveless world. It's been a series of months where, for Nicole and I, we've had to start processing and reorganising nearly every sphere of our life. Everything that for the last season of our life has been predictable and stable. And all of a sudden, God is calling us into a new place. But with that comes the letting go of everything that we've been predictably counting on so that we can come into everything that he's called us for. He knows what he's doing. We're having to renegotiate just about every aspect of our life together in our home, in our marriage, in our, with regards to our children. And at the same time as um, having to ne- renegotiate all of this, We've been confronted with, and, and I think that, I believe wholeheartedly the, the renegotiation is because of God's invitation, not because we're bored, <laughs> but because of God's invitation to our lives. He's calling us, as he calls us all into following him. But as soon as we've said, okay, God, we want you to reorganize our lives according to what you're calling us to, we have had to contend with So many things in the natural breaking down. I mean, not just 
mechanical things. I mean personal relational things, material things, uh, economic things, all sorts of things have just been breaking down. Like, uh, it's like, oh my gosh. And to the point where it must honestly be said, a few times in the last few weeks, we've kind of uttered the words to the Lord, are you sure you've got the right people? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because this, this is a little uncomfortable right now. And I know that for many of us in this room, as God is repositioning our lives in this season, right alongside that, there is a work that's seeking to discourage and dissuade and rob you from actually walking in everything God's calling you to. But this is what we live in. We live in this place of kingdoms in conflict where God is establishing his rule in the earth through people like you and me who've said yes to Jesus. And at the same time, we are finding ourselves in a situation where the enemy is not too keen on that at all. Here at the vineyard over the last few months, we have seen the Lord add to our number. We have seen the Lord grow people's hunger to want to fellowship in kinship groups and get involved in sharing life together. We've seen wonderful physical healings. We've seen a renewed hunger for the Bible. Thanks, Tavia. (laughs) There's people hungry to be in the Word. We are seeing people sign up to want to help join in with what God is doing with our children. We have seen people say, you know what, I'm going to give myself to a two-year internship on leadership development. We have seen our mercy ministry continue to pump along and new leadership transition beautifully. God is doing a wonderful thing among us. But we have also seen a great push against that, a great resistance to that. We have seen, um, for the first time in our history, we have seen that we have not been able to pay our loans to the bank. For the first time in our history, we have seen for the very first time our cash flow like all of a sudden just tighten up with great tension. And in the midst of all of this, the Holy Spirit's been saying to me, Kirk, you are in a battle. That's it. You are in a battle. Sometimes it would be simpler if we just didn't live in this contest for people's lives. If we didn't live in the great contest of God reaching, seeking to break through with his love for the hearts and lives of people. That they would know his good rule and reign. Sometimes it would be simpler if we could just selfishly like, I want to use everything I've made for me to make me more comfortable. Sometimes it would be simpler if we could just forget the struggles of our globe. Sometimes it would be just easier to forget all of that. And yet the Holy Spirit reminded me this week, Kirk, you are in a battle. The Bible says it like this. For some reason, Jake, this isn't firing up there. Let me just... 
I'm going to... Can we get the next second slide up? Uh, if we can get it, it'd be good. You got it? Great. The story of the Bible is this. We live in both a spiritual and a natural context of heaven and earth. Genesis 1, 3, 31 to 2, verse 1. God saw all that he'd made. It was very good. There was evening. There was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. That's where we live. The Bible says we also live in a context where that very environment has been broken. Genesis 3, you can read the whole story of what happened there and how that happened. But the Bible also says that we live in a reality where God is good and he is reconciling and fixing everything that is broken through his son Jesus. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, that is while we were still enemies of God, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the story for those that have said yes to Jesus, according to Paul, is that we now live in the story of God making everything right again and making it all new again. The difficulty is, how is it that sometimes we can have experiences like our good friend Wayne over here, whose shoulders, through the prayers of God's people, have experienced healing? And yet, just this very week, at the same time, Wayne had to go to hospital because he had really strong stomach issues going on, kidney issues going on. It's like healing not healing. What's going on there? This isn't easy to live in, is it? Well, the Bible says we live in two ages. Can we go to the next slide? Thanks, Jake. The Bible says we live in two ages. We live in this age. Paul writes in Galatians 1, 3 and 4, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So that the story is we live in an age that's been corrupted by evil, the work of the enemy. Genesis 3, go back there and that's that story. That's how everything got broken. And yet, at the same time as living in that very story of evil running rampant and brokenness in the earth... We also live at the same time in the power of the ages to come. The Bible talks about two ages, this present evil age and the age to come. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, 6 speaks of this. Having tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. In other words, we live in this age, but we also live in at the same time in the power of the age to come. 
Now that can be a very confusing thing to get our head around. The big confusion for me for many years was I wanted to resolve that, being a good Western Greek thinking lad. I wanted to rationalise it so that there would be no this age and at the same time the age to come. I wanted to separate them out. And some people do hold a theology that says, well, the coming age is at the return of Christ. Well, my understanding of the Bible story is that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he declared that that very coming age was now here in his presence. So he invaded this present evil age with the age to come. Can we jump onto that next slide? Now, what is a kingdom? I just want to quickly touch on this. Now, for those of us who are Aussies and grown up culturally um, in the commonwealth of um, British nations, we understand the idea of a king or a kingdom as a place where a king or a queen would rule with authority and have a certain reach over a geographical region. It's a place where they would do their ruling and reigning over the people of that region. Um, Next slide, thanks, Jake. But when it comes to Jesus, he belonged to a tribe of ancient Hebrew people who had been taught by prophets and they had been taught to believe that God was the only one true king and the creator of the world. And if, if you've got quickly just Psalm 24, Psalm 24, reads like this. Now this is written by King David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Can you see just the massive declaration of picture there? According to David, King David, God was the true king and God owns it all. It's all his. It has been corrupted and broken, but it's all his nonetheless. And these people like Jesus, the Hebrew people, they prayed for and they believed that one day there would come a moment where God would establish himself as king in the earth again, even as he is the king in the heavens. And so with this coming uh, kingdom, next slide, thanks, Jake, everything that was wrong would be made right, every unjust thing would be removed, even political powers would be um, restored unto the way of the kingdom of God. Love and mercy would fill the earth, even as God's presence would fill the earth with his manifest glory. All sickness and disease would be God, and God would walk with his people once again, just like it happened in the garden. Can you jump into the next slide for me? This might help, this little... um, So when Jesus came, that's a big word up the top there, inauguration. Remember like when, maybe you've seen footage of when the queen was originally um, crowned the queen. It's called the inauguration ceremony. You'd probably look it up on YouTube if you wanted to way back when. Or, you know, someone who wins a a race, they're inaugurated with, you know, the, the medals of victory. 
they're now the reigning, ruling champions. So in the Jesus event, Jesus has inaugurated or been inaugurated as the king who was to come. And he does this in a really bold way, uh, just around about his 30th birthday, he is anointed, he's baptised by John, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, God speaks over him and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus goes into the desert to contend with the kingdom of darkness and coming out of the desert, the scripture says, in the power of the spirit, in the, and it's a really important phrase, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes to church and he unrolls the prophet's scroll, Isaiah 61. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 4. And that with Jesus' inauguration, he, he reads this Isaiah 61 and then he, as he sits down, he says, this has now been fulfilled in your hearing of this. So Jesus is saying rather boldly, you know the great God King that is to come, the one true creator of maker of heaven and earth, I'm just letting you know he's here. This is Jesus' claim. And with Jesus, he's now inaugurating that kingdom into this present evil age. Can we jump over to the next slide? There's a little picture there that might help us on the next slide. Thanks, Jake. Jesus has ushered in from the future the coming kingdom into our daily existence right now. And so we, you can see, live in that square box, (laughs) for want of a better picture. But we live in the tension between the times of the kingdom having come and the kingdom still to come. We live in that place of dynamic tension. That's why when we go about doing the works of Jesus, we see God driving back and advancing his kingdom in the earth. And at the same time, we're doing it in a context where there is great opposition and resistance. A helpful illustration might be, be this one. If, if we jump onto the next slide. This, this was a very helpful illustration for me. And there, there's a reason why I'm unpacking this to you this morning very quickly. And I'll drop that to you in just a second. But you, for those of you who remember the story and the accounts of what happened at the end of the Second World War, on the 6th of June, 1944, it was called D-Day. Now, D-Day was the day when all of the Allied forces, I think there was something like nearly 140,000 troops were, were sent onto the shores of Normandy to break the power of Nazi Germany's hold over those, over those shores. And so in, on June 6, 1944, the Allied forces attacked Normandy and stormed Normandy. Now, the war didn't end that day, but history tells us that it was the action that took place on that very day that then determined the outcome, which was known as V-Day or V-E-Day, 
which was on May 8, 1945, which was the unconditional surrender of the Nazi forces. So D-Day was the decisive action of the Allied forces that happened. And they say that it was actually on that day, that very day, the war was won in that decisive action. Yet, the outworking of that victory had to find its way out to its conclusion, which was the unconditional surrender. So D-Day, for you and me, as followers of Jesus, is the Jesus event. His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. That is our D-Day. That is God bringing the future power of his authority to be maker of heaven and earth and make everything right and he's driving a flag into the earth. He's driving a flag. He's storming Normandy and he's going, this is it. And he's established his kingdom in the earth. Now, the unconditional surrender of the enemy is ultimately at the return of Christ where he is completely surrendered and God walks with his people. The creation is fully restored and renewed. But we live right now in this present evil age in the victory of the kingdom, of, to, uh, the kingdom to come in Jesus. So we can look at every situation that's unjust, that's demonic, that's broken, that is sick, and we can bring to that situation the decisive victory of D-Day that's happened in Christ into that situation. And we tell that situation on the authority of what happened in Jesus Christ that that situation now needs to come under the lordship of Christ. Am I making sense? It's really important you get this. And it's when we do that that we start to have this argy-bargy contending. Now, the enemy is a defeated enemy. And I got to, well, I wouldn't call myself an enemy, but um, yesterday morning, um, I, got, I got beaten at this race thing that I do every Saturday morning by someone I always beat. And I got beaten only by six seconds, but nonetheless, I got beaten. And I was, I was being defeated. And I was just like doing everything I could to try and claw that back. I'm like, that's six seconds. He's just up there. I'm like, ah! And I was pouring everything I could to try and get back in front of him. I just couldn't do it. But that's what the enemy's like. He's been defeated, but he is doing everything that he can with his minions, his demonic army, to try and claw back the victory of Christ advancing in the, in the earth. But he's defeated. But he hasn't surrendered because God is restoring everything to the way it once was that through human beings, God would walk with man and woman and man and woman would have dominion over the earth and rule even as it was meant to be. See, God wants to do it with us and through us as well as for us. Let's jump on to the next one. So our discipleship experience is this. 
We partner with God to establish his kingdom in this earth today by partnering with his work. We tell the good news of Jesus. We forgive people of their sin. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it is the most powerful thing to be able to look someone in the eye when they've just poured out their shame and brokenness and sin to you and look them in the eye and say, in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. It's like just life comes into them. Weight comes off them. Healing sick people. Casting out of demon, demons. Being a voice of justice in the earth to the powers that want to rule and make decisions and caring for the poor and outcast. That's our discipleship experience. And in the process of that, we're partnering with God to restore all things unto him as he's already done in Jesus Christ. We are students of Jesus, living with him. He's a good Lord, a good master, and we are actually very, very powerful. We just don't realise it. So why do I share this with you this morning? Can I jump on to the next one? Thanks. This year, God has told us that he is wanting to restore I believe, not just for us here at Vineyard Pine Rivers, but to the wider body of Christ, the understanding of her true identity as the gathered people of God. And with that, see an awakening come to the body of Christ of that identity. Seeing a culture of the celebration of the works of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and a freedom and an honour for those moving in power among us, and that all of us would be like Jeremiah, have a fire in our bones. These are the things God's asking us to do this year. But let me tell you, as we say yes to this, let me show you what we're going to come up against. Next slide. These are the things we're going to drive through, right through in the authority of Christ. We're going to see issues of isolation hit us. Hang on, I belong to the body of Christ. So the enemy's just going to throw every bit of manure of isolation that he can at you. You don't belong. You're not worthy to belong. We're going to to confront lethargy. I just don't feel like it. I'm physically exhausted. I wouldn't care if I threw five bucks or 500. I don't get lethargy. Oppressive tiredness. This is what the enemy is going to come at us with. And all of this stuff, all of this stuff is sent to rob us of what God has said he wants to do through us for his greater glory. Tall poppy syndrome is going to manifest People are going to get jealous about seeing what other people are doing in Jesus' name. People are going to get confronted with this sense of competition, like, why do, why do they get to do things and why don't I, God? Belonging, identity, a heart of obedience is going to be challenged. Endurance to stay the course. This is a big one here for me. Generational gain. Generational gain and transition of the kingdom of God to those that follow after me. That's a really important one for me. 
there's going to come everything from the enemy to prevent this truth of the gospel, of the good news, of the power of God in Jesus Christ through the church being sought to prevent it from given to generations. But you know what? We're just going to plow through that. We are gonna, we're on SS kingdom of God. We are going to blow that stuff out of the water. But I'm letting you know it's going to rear its ugly head. So don't be surprised when you see it. Finance, well, man, we've banged into that one in a hurry this year. Finance just gets dried up. People lose jobs. The small business people among us, their small businesses all of a sudden are losing jobs left, right and centre, unbeknownst as to how come. I'm telling you because we're not living in a spiritual vacuum. We are living in a great contest. Leadership and the focus to get your eyes off the kingdom and onto yourself to try and somehow manage the journey. God is calling us. These are the battlefronts that we will contend with this year. And I'm just letting you know this because we believe that God wants to do something so powerful and victorious through us together, better together. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, better together in God. Next slide, thanks, mate. Over the next little while, we are going to take every opportunity to not just point out what the enemy will do, but we are going to give you the tools, I mean sharp, effective, powerful tools, to tear down every pretense and argument that builds itself up against the knowledge of God. That's what we're going to do over the next little while. That's where we're going. Can you use the next slide? Um, next slide, Jay. Is there one after that one? I don't, maybe not. That might be the end of it. This morning as we finish, I just want to remind us all, the narrative of the Bible, the narrative of church history, the narrative of our very lives, the story tells us that God is king and he's on the move to make everything right that's been wronged. Now this week, I just finished with this story. This week was just awesome. There was a... um, spent some time with some folk on Tuesday night talking through some of these these battling front lines that we were sort of contending with. And it, and it came clear as a result of that conversation and processing some of that, that there was this work of fatigue just like has just come over people. Like They've been operating fine, they've been working fine, they've been physically fine, they've been emotionally fine, but all of a sudden just fatigue. Just... And so anyway, one of our crew, one of our teams said, um, very well put, they said, this is, this is not from the Lord, this is demonic. The enemy's trying to rob us from being better together. And they said... You know, they started to talk about it online a little bit and invited some people to come down here on Friday afternoon and pray. And they had a picture that, as we prayed, we were to walk around the property seven times, a bit like, you know, Jericho, and worship God. 
That was, our, that was the main tool of our warfare was worship. Just worshipping Jesus. Jesus, you are so awesome. You're a great king. We love you. We're for you. And we just poured our love onto the risen Christ in worship. And so this little band of, I don't know what, there's maybe 16, 17 people there, band of people, and we had shakers and maracas and guitars. And, you know, we're kneeling down on the footpath out here at 5.30 on a Friday Arvo, and all the mechanics up and down the street are kind of like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, we look strange, but we don't care. We're bigger than that. And so we kneeled down and we just asked Jesus to come and lead us and be the victorious king that he is. And so then we marched around the building seven times and worshipped Jesus. And then at the end of the seventh lap, we all got over the corner here, out the front here, and, we, and, the, and as we were being led, I said, all right, now it's like Jericho. I said, we're not going to yell that the building falls down. We're actually going to yell that the fatigue, the spirit, the demonic assignment of fatigue would come crumbling down under the life of Jesus and that the people of God could live unto him and through him, that they would have great joy, great authority and great purpose to their every day and that we as a church would be that kind of place. And so we did this, I did my best brave heart, you know. I was just like, oh, this is good. This is, I almost blew my voice box out. I went so hard on the yell. We just yelled and yelled and yelled and yelled. And then, and then laughter hit us. We just all started laughing. It was just, just, just the joy of the Lord just came on us. We just, the laughter and the lightness of the Holy Spirit came on us. And we went, well, that's business. We've done business. We've done business. And it is our full conviction that that fatigue that was upon us was actually broken in that moment and it was demonstrated this morning in our worship. It was demo- it was, that victory was manifest in our worship this morning. There was a massive shift in our worship this morning. God's a good king. He's making everything right and he's doing it and has done it through his son Jesus and he's doing it in partnership with us, his people as the church. You guys are lethal weapons lethal weapons i got that tag because i saw the movie again the other night lethal weapon <laughs> nothing super spiritual about it but you know you guys are lethal weapons of god's love in a loveless world and so this morning i want us to i feel like we just want to pray for any of any of us that um have well this week's warfare was fatigue so we're going to stay on target And we're just going to deal with that. If you have been dealing with fatigue,